Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to part one of episode number 193 of the 60 Music Podcast, the Millennial Throwback Machine. So first of all, it's a welcome all you to part one of the Sunder 193 of my 60 Music Podcast, the Millennial Throwback Machine. I am Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or in Stitcher, or in iHeartRadio, or in Google Play Music, or on Spotify, and you're wondering, so what the heck is, I'm just giving you a brief description of what the show's all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams, and I'm a 26-year-old songwriter slash producer, but I'm also a 60 music fan slash expert slash nerd. And I each week with this podcast, I take one song by one artist in the 60s and put the show in two parts. First part of the show, I talk about my opinion of the song and why I think it's so good, or why I think it sucks, and do my own personnel, so the range of the song, which will include the chords, my licks. And second part of the show, I dig deep into the history behind that track. In that part of the show, I talk about who wrote the song, who produced it, we'll see the song is recorded, I'll talk about the session players that play on the Song and producer that produced it, history behind the song, or wrote the song, the, the, the artist that recorded it, and the producer that produced it, and the peak musician song made up originally in Billboard Hot 100 charts when first came out in the year when the song was released. All that is in the second part of the show. Now, before we move on this week's episode of the podcast, I have one more really cool announcement for you guys. Now, for those of you who, you know, for who've been listening to the show for this past month, you guys should know that I'm putting out a, a single, the first one for my next EP next month on the 19th of October, uh, for my song The Guru Girl, and then I'm playing a release show uh, the week before at Bar Lubitsch in West Hollywood, and I'm on a 10 there's 10 dollars cover, so I, I'm, I'm, I think you guys already know that, but... Um, I have an I have another really cool announcement. This literally just happened to me recently. So, um, some of you may know this, some of you may not. But just in case you don't, I put out I have eight premium interview episodes now. I just re- just recorded recorded put out one with Terry Manning, uh, the Stacks record Memphis recording engineer. That one is out that you can listen to. Um, but now I'm going to interview another person, and this guy is super interesting and. Here, here's a little added bonus, you know, the, for the that makes this interview more special than some of my other ones. I mean, not the not the other ones weren't good, but this one's gonna make it even more cooler. Okay, so this the thing is about this about this guest is that he actually lives in my area, and when I talked to him on the phone about being a guest, him being a guest on my podcast, he agreed to come over to my studio, and we're gonna and we're probably gonna do this interview in person. And that's going to be cool because I haven't done one of those in a hot freaking second, not since 2019. So this will be my fourth in-person podcast guest I've ever done within the last four years of me doing this podcast. I've only done three in-person guests, and this will be the fourth one. And this will be my first one in three years, which is crazy thinking about it. I mean, I've done over, this will be my 21st guest I've ever had on my podcast and it's only going to be the fourth person I've had on who is uh, in person. Everyone else has been over the phone. So that's crazy. I mean, holy mackerel. I mean, it's been like, it's just incredible that I've done so many of these inter- in these interview episodes, but I've only done three, uh, you, you know, in-person guests. I mean, that blows my mind. I mean, wow. I mean, I've only done three in-person guests, and this will be my fourth one. 
So I'm super excited. Uh, you know, gr- really interesting guy. He co-wrote Spooky by the Classics 4. He was very much a part of the Atlanta, Atlanta music scene back in the 60s, a, a scene that still is not talked about very much today. Very few people know about it today. It's not as nearly talked about as Muscle Shoals or Memphis or Nashville, but this is going to be a really, really interesting interview episode because we're going to dive deep into the Atlanta scene back in the 60s and a little bit afterwards, too, because this guy has done a bunch of other stuff. He's done some acting, he's hosted some TV shows, and he sang background for Elvis, too, and that's really cool. So... And, you know, it's going to be great because this guy wrote some songs that got recorded by the Tams on the first album. I think he played piano on their first album, too. And he, like I said, he co-wrote Spooky and some other stuff, too. So this is going to be a very, very cool interview. I cannot wait to talk to him. This is going to be so, so dope. Yeah. So he's going to come over. going to do it in person. So I might b- videotape it. I might just put my phone on my little, uh, you know, tripod Santa got right here and just record everything. Um, you know, cause I definitely might do that. So that way I can just post some video clips from it on, on, on Instagram, you know, or, and, and on TikTok too. So I'm definitely probably going to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm in the middle of clearing up some space on my, uh, on my phone right now. So that way I can, uh, I have enough room for that. Cause this might be a long interview just, just from, cause actually a friend of mine set me up with this guy. So, and from what he has told me, he's, he has a really good memory and he's a very good person to interview. Uh, as long as I'm able to just not talk as much and let him talk. And I'm, and you guys know I, I can do that. I mean, there are some interviews where I could probably hold back a little bit more and let the other, and let the guests talk more. But you guys know that I'm 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 pretty capable of just letting the other person talk. I, I I've gotten better at it, you know. So this will so this will be a really really good interview. Um, I can't wait to talk to him. His name's Harry Middlebrooks. He's not a household name. You probably don't know who he is, but he covered Spooky. Big hit for Classics Four in 1968, and he, you know, he, and that also got also became a huge hit again when it got recorded by Atlanta Rhythm Section. So this is going to be a great interview. Cannot wait to talk to him. Plus, a lot of those guys from Atlanta scene have passed away. Most of them have. So I'm really, really excited to get to talk to him. And let's get started in this week's show. Okay, so um, as per usual, when I do these episodes, normally my dis- how I decide what songs I do each week is um i normally go through my old episodes or ones i haven't or you know it could be more recent you know i just try to do cover areas for 60 music i haven't talked about in a long time um but it's not like i there's not a whole lot of ground i haven't touched on yet i've done mostly everything uh from the 60s so um at this point with over almost 200 episodes of my podcast isn't that crazy i've, I've almost had done 200 episodes <laughs> of my podcast and there's still stuff that I haven't talked about. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, I can't believe that it's it's literally been 200 free almost 200 episodes. It's just crazy. Um but yeah. So yeah, so I'm really excited to 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 do this one because um I noticed that and it's been a while since I've done garage rock. I mean, I did the music machine earlier this year. I think the first first month of 2022 I did the music machine and then I did Metroid and Detroit Wheels and Jefferson Airplane were, were garage rock too technically, but they kind of were more mainstream than that. So I thought to myself, let's let's do a garage rock song, but let's do one a little bit er- on the early side because I've done some some garage rock songs. I haven't done all of them yet, but I haven't done a kind of an early one um, because there there are some early ones that are kind of interesting um, in terms of uh, you know 
you know, sort of the history behind them because, you know, there are a couple early ones that do have some things that we could talk about more when I talk about the history behind them next week. And, um, you know, because not all of them are good. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the King. I mean, I like the Kingsman's Lulu. It's a cool song. I'm not the biggest Surfing Bird by the Trashman fan. I'm not crazy about it. But this one, I actually, out of all, between between those two and this one, I like this one the most, actually. This is definitely one of my favorite really early garage rock singles uh, from that first wave right before the British Invasion. That's the other thing that, I don't know if you guys knew this, but the whole garage rock thing really started right before the Beatles. I mean, literally right before the Beatles. So these guys were singing and playing their own instruments on records before the Beatles. And, you know, I mean, there were self-contained bands that were doing this right before the Beatles. And just just as just when the Beatles were starting to take off and blew up in the first wave of the British invasion, in the first months of 1964. And this is one of those songs that actually was on the charts uh, just when this was happening, when all hell was beginning to break loose with I Want to Hold Your Hand being number one. So but this is a fun song and it's more relatable for me because I don't know if they've actually ever been to where they, they talk, the area they talk about in the song, but I grew up here, so this is definitely a more relatable topic for me. And it's a fun song. It's got a, it's got a lot of high energy. It's really, really cool. I can't wait to talk about it. Okay, so this song came out in January 1964. It's by a group called the Rivieres. The name of the song is called California Sun. Wow, this is a high-energy rock and roll record, that is for sure. I mean, th- there's a lot going on here. Uh, even though with simple instrumentation, all it is is just guitar, bass, organ, and drums. There's a lot happening here. Um, you know, it's it's really high-energy, really kick-ass. And we're going to talk about what makes the song so good, both musically and lyrically. But first, let's get into the song's music. Okay, so here's the thing about this song. And... Uh, you know, it's funny because a lot of and I've done over like a hundred, almost two hundred episodes of this podcast, right? And for the most part, the songs I have selected from the sixties, they 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 for the most part don't have instrumentation that was of the time. Most of the time, there you know there were songs that you know that could basically have today's instrumentation. You know, uh, for the most part, I mean, you know, the, you know, if if you look at you know live music in today's world, you know, you're gonna, you're most of the songs I've talked about on this podcast, you know, you're still gonna see bands utilizing these exact same instruments, right? So there's not in today's world. If you if you go out to a show or if you see a local band out here in L.A., you're gonna you're gonna see you know groups playing a lot of the same instruments that these guys were playing back then. So it's not that much of a, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of these songs hold up in terms of the instrumentation. That's what I'm trying to say, but this one, not necessarily so. And I'll talk more about that in with you in just a second. But basically what I'm trying to say is that this song, and this is very typical of the garage rock genre. So some of you might know this, some of you might not. 
I mean, I've noticed on Spotify that the, the, the range of people listening to the show, the age range is incredible from, you know, early 20s and 30s and 40s all the way up until the early, until you're, or until you're in early 60s. So it's, it's, the age range is wide as far as the people who watch this, listen to this podcast. So um, some of you might not know about this, um, but back in the 60s, a very popular instrument that was blowing up in uh, in the in the in the in 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 the sixties that was first manufactured in the early sixties and then it just blew up everywhere else and the instrument I'm talking about is the Vox Continental organ. Now, Vox was a European instru- instrument maker company. They they were more famous for for making amps, but they also made organs. And one of their most popular instruments they made was a was the Vox Continental organ. Now, at the time, the reason why these instruments were so popular was because uh, if you wanted to play organ at a show, it was very tough to do that because otherwise you had a lot. If you if you if you weren't going to play Vox Continental Farfisa, you had to lug around this huge Hammond B3 organ with a humongous Leslie speaker that was very difficult to transport to travel from gig to gig to gig playing that thing. I mean, it was just a major pain in the butt to, to lug that thing around, and it still is, to be honest with you. Um, that's why you know we have these fancy smanchy live keyboards with, with samples on them. I mean that's why they exist, you know, so that way we don't have to lug around all these these bulky, heavy like you know Hammond B3 organs with a big fat Leslie speaker. You know that's why we have these fancy cool you know keyboards that can you know pull that pull those sounds out from the ether, you know essentially. So, um, but the point I'm trying to make here is that before those th- those keyboards, before we had the technology to even do that. Um, these vo- these these Vox Continental organs were essentially the reason why they're called Continental because you can get them all over the world and uh, they were available in, in the U.S. too, not just in Europe but also in the U.S. But the reason why these were so popular was because they were lightweight and you could literally carry them around anywhere. I mean, there are these portable keyboards that you can just you know stand up using a keyboard stand. Turn them on, and I, I think they were battery powered. I have to look it up, but I mean, I mean, basically they were just very they're very easy to carry around. They were lightweight. All you need to do is just turn them on, and then there you go. You got sound. You didn't. And they actually, I think they may have been one of the first organs to come up come with their own built-in speakers in them. I think I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not a gearhead, so I, I I'm I'm can't. I wouldn't quote me on that, but. I'm pretty sure they're one of the first organs to come with their own built-in speakers, you know, because the in order to, in order to get sound of a Hammond B3 organ, you had to plug in a Leslie speaker. Um, but they're one of the first. I think they're one of the first organs to come with built-in speakers. But yeah. Um, but the point I'm trying to make here, the reason why I'm saying all this is because the the Vox Continental was this the the sound was the sound of the 60s. Almost a lot of bands utilized this instrument. So, but you're not going to hear much of it in today's world. You're not. You're not going to hear a band. You're not going to see a band in LA play with a Vox Continental organ because they're not. They're not. They're not easy to come by in today's world, and they're very expensive. And you know, and and even though probably a lot of these you know new uh, you know live sound keyboards can probably pull up that sample, not every group's trying to do the retro throwback '60s you know garage rock sound. So you're not. You probably won't even hear a lot of these groups. You know, uh, I mean, you know, a lot of these groups have a keyboard player pull up that Vox Continental sound, um, you know, uh, on, on their keyboards. But another one, another popular one is Farfisa Compact. But basically, 
this song, the Vox Continental Organ is all over the place. I mean, this is it. This is. The, I mean, the Vox was just the the sound. The, the 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 organ on this record is front and center, and it's loud and it's present and it's all over the place. I mean. I mean, they're, you know, I mean, look, all they're doing is just playing the chords. The organ player is playing the chords of the song. He's kind of playing up higher in the octave, so they're kind of you kind of getting you're hearing the organ player playing sort of. Uh, here's the thing about the organ is that sometimes the vox continental, depending on what part of the part of the instrument you played at, can sound kind of ear piercing, kind of like, not so pleasant. But that's more if you play it in in the higher octaves and lower octaves is a little bit different, but definitely in the higher octaves. So yeah, I mean basically like in the and the guitar player is doing the you know the the chords too. I mean the the song doesn't have much to tell as far as the chord progression. It's basically like one four one four, and at the very end it go, it goes to the it goes to the major six, which is cool, and then does the four five one thing. But that's basically it. It's like one four one four, and then and what's also really cool is that little that that counter melody that happens. It's almost it's like a call and response where the singer sings a melody and the guitar player plays it. That's kind of cool. That you know that little that little counter melody call and response thing that's really cool where it's like the guitar singer sings the melody and the guitar player plays it back that's cool and the drummer is just insane on this record i mean he is he is driving that drum beat and just doing like i mean he is just like really really on top of it and i like how in the verses uh you know you hear him you hear him you hear everything cancel out except for the drummer and the guitar player and the, vo- and the vocalist you can really hear the drummer just drive the train of you know this of this song you know really just you know hitting hard on this on, on the drum kit and he's playing that twist groove and look this is an also a common 60s things too but if you know what i'm talking about basically it's the, the twist group is the but that's basically what it is it's that it's that sort of it's that it's 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 a dotted eighth note quarter note sort of groove but that's basically what he's doing. He's playing that twist groove, which was on so many '60s records. I mean, that's a typical Beatles thing, right there. The ba 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 ba. I mean, when you hear that, when you hear that uh, that beat, you automatically, you know, th- think of '60s music just from hearing that ba 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 ba. I mean, so many songs had that beat. I mean, it was very typical of you know the of the. It was based. I call it the twist groove because when I hear that drum beat, I associate. I associate I closely associate the drum beat with the tw- the dance craze of twist, and it's it's you know and this song has that kind of twist groove to it. You can easily do the twist to it, and the drummer is just going crazy. I mean, I mean the the guitar player and the organ player and the drummer are really the for- on the forefront of this record. I mean they're just they're, I mean they're playing the craziest licks, especially in the in the solo section, where the guitar player just goes absolutely nuts, and then the organ player just goes crazy too. I mean this is. This is a high energy rock and roll record. This is like really, really like I mean, this is like damn. This is this is just like really, really up there in terms of the energy of this record. And uh and yeah, I mean the the I, I really like the melody that I mean that that melody's cool, you know, because it kind of it serves it's a, it's a melody, but it also be a riff too at the same time. And it like and I like how there were lyrics added to it, so that's cool. Um. In fact, any sort of melodic melody riff could be could you can add lyrics to it easily, um, you know. So because it kind of serves two purposes, um, it could sound cool with lyrics and with as as a standalone melody as well. But yeah, so um, you know, I mean, this is this is just a really re- I mean, especially in the intro where it's just guitar and organ, the drums, and then and, and they're both and the organ and the guitar player playing that cool little riff. You know, I mean, that's that's really cool too. 
And yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely high energy rock and roll record. It's super short, two minutes, but I mean, it's it's definitely more on the punk rock side, and it's kind of interesting because, you know, the the classic rock and roll that we sort of know about from the late fifties. I'm talking like the Jerry Lee Lewis, the the Little Richard, the Fats Domino, that whole sort of balls the wall three chord 12 bar blues rock and roll thing with the crazy saxophone solo or guitar solo that genre basically involved in the punk rock if you think about it i mean that's i mean this is basically where that whole traditional rock and roll style which kind of changed in the late 50s early 60s when things got more fancy with instrumentation with doo-wop and vocal groups the girl groups and the pop singers when they were doing more fancy things with you know the horns and the strings and the background singers i mean if you if you if you look at sort of the if you if you don't look at the watered down version of rock and roll, look at the more bare bones, uh, you know the 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 classic definition of it. You you know that's it kind of morphed into punk rock essentially, and that's sort of what you're getting with this song, an early kind of version of that. And that's basically what what when you know garage rock was so much an earlier version of it. But this is a really cool song, and let's get into the lyrics. Now there's a reason why I can definitely relate to this song, and the lyrics for it. Um, because I don't know if any of you have noticed this by now, but I actually, for those of you who don't, I grew up in LA. I mean, I was born and raised out here in Los Angeles in Southern California. So I've been out here my whole life and I, and I haven't been anywhere else actually since I was 16. I'm hoping to go somewhere at some point in the near future. We'll see. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I grew up in LA, so the song's called California Sun. So Basically, it's it it talks about you know Southern California and L.A. Um, you know, and and it's funny because you know here's the other thing. So this this song, um, uh, there's a couple different versions of the song, and the, the lyrics from the original version are are slightly different than uh the the version by the the hit version. But I'm just gonna specific. I'm gonna kind of do a blend of the both. Next week, I'll 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 show you guys a clip of the original version, so that way you guys can kind of hear the difference between the two. But I mean, basically, like this, if it's just point it put it bluntly as to what the song is about lyrically, it's just a song that glorifies Southern California and L.A. But the point of it, the thing I want you to keep in mind about the lyrics for this song is because this song actually was first recorded in 1961. It came out in 1961. And it, it may have been before the Beach Boys, to be honest with you. Like, it, this record might have came out and r- was written before the Beach Boys. And think about think about it. I mean, that was the early 60s, as much as the Brill Building was happening in New York with the, 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 the Alden music songwriters. I mean, yes, that was big. But also on the West Coast, I mean... That was also the beginning of the surf rock craze. I mean, the surf music was blowing up, not just with the instrumentals by the Ventures and the Chantes and the Surfaris, but with the vocal music, too, by the Beach Boys and Jan and Dean. The surf car scene was just blowing up all over the world. And this song perfectly fits in with that. It's the perfect song about, you know, uh, the the California girls. I mean, essentially, it's almost like... It's almost like that song by uh, Katy Perry, "California Girls" with Snoop Dogg. I mean, it, it, it's uh, it's it's the same kind of thing, and uh, it you know, and look, there there's a couple different lyrical changes happening from the original, 
uh, into this version. But let's talk about, for the sake of this podcast, we'll talk about this version. And then we'll kind of compare and contrast maybe next week. But anyways, um, so, you know, it's funny. Like, it, this is, I, the other thing is that I don't even know if the guy who wrote this song ever went to Southern California or ever went to L.A., and he was inspired by the atmosphere of being in Southern California because this guy who wrote this song was definitely not from Southern California. And I don't even think he was based out of there. He was, I think he was from Ohio and then he moved to New Orleans. So, you know, so I, you know, he definitely he had nothing to do with Southern California. He may have went out there, you know, because he was in the record industry at the time. And, you know, a lot of the record industry people did go to L.A. even if they weren't, uh, even if they weren't based out there, you know. So, um, but yeah, I mean. Uh, the song glorifies, you know, California, you know, in terms of, you know, the hot girls that are there. And I can actually testify to that because I've been in L.A. for long enough and I know that there's hot girls out here for sure. But, I mean, you could say that for a lot of other places. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm sure New York has a lot of hotties. Uh, Miami has a lot of hotties. I mean, they're just... There's a bunch of places with a lot, a lot of really hot chicks. Now, if you live somewhere kind of remote, kind of like out there, like in North Dakota or something like that, you probably, you might have slim pickings. But really, if you live in a big city like New York, L.A., and um, Miami, there's tons of beautiful chicks, you know, in places like that. And I live in L.A., so I, 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 these lyrics do have a sense of truthism to the to the, to how... You know, um, there's pretty girls in San Francisco. You know, I've been to San Francisco, but it's been years since I've been there, so I would, I couldn't really testify that. But I mean, it, it's funny because there's a there's a reference to L.A. in the original version of the song, but this didn't wind up in this version of the song at all. So I mean, it's kind of hard analyzing this version when I could talk about the original too. So there, I mean, I've actually haven't done one of these songs in a while where there's like an original recording of it that predated this the hit version. So next week I'll talk more about that. But I mean. Essentially, you know, it's 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 a song that glorifies California girls, just like what the Beach Boys did. Except this might have came out even before the Beach Boys. So I mean, it's it's possible that the song came out before the Beach Boys. And look, I mean, so this song might may have predated the whole, you know, surf rock craze that the Beach Boys basically launched. I mean, this the original version even came out in 1960, and it was the follow up to his first hit which is you talk too much so this definitely came out before the beach boys so this may have been one of the very first songs that may have influenced the beach boys i don't know but it's possible but i mean yeah i can testify that there's a lot of hot girls out here but there's other hot there's hot girls in other places too like new york and miami and probably like other 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 parts of, the, of, of america too but i mean yeah i mean and look i mean you know it, it so so that that is true but i mean again like one thing that i love about my own music is that i i talk about a lot of these songs are sort of glorify girls and put them on a pedestal but not a whole lot of songs talk about the struggles with, with trying to get girls and there's not a whole lot of songs out there that are like that so i really I do a good job of writing songs like that because it comes from firsthand experience for me. So that's you know, so I kind of I I kind of just sort of write from that perspective, and not a lot of these old songs come from that perspective. So that sort of difference between what I'm writing right now in the 21st century versus what was written 50, 60 years ago in the 20th century. But yeah, so um, 
but yeah, I mean, this is you know lyrically, it's just a it's a surf rock song, just like the Beach Boys <laughs> and Jan and Dean too, but mainly the Beach Boys. But yeah, so in in it's possible that the song may have predated the Beach Boys too. I'm pretty sure it did. Yeah. So um, but yeah, because the Beach Boys weren't even have the first hit in 1960. They weren't have the first hit until a year later. So that's kind of cool, you know. So the song's over. It's like 62 years old, but it's a really really fun song and uh, and also. One more point, one thing I want to point out to you is that uh, in the in the original version, it, the, the the singer says they walk that walk, they twist like this, they shimmy, don't shimmy, they fly that fly. But in this version, this is kind of interesting. The guy changed the lyrics to they walk and I'll walk, and they twist and I'll twist, and they shimmy and I'll shimmy, and they fly and I'll fly. So that's an interesting sort of. Uh, you know, a l- breakdown of as far as guys' b- guys' behavior towards girls, how he's sort of like, you know what, I'm just gonna everything that you're doing, I'm just gonna mirror it. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever vibes you're picking up, I'll do the same. You know, and that's and that's sort of an interesting thing. I I follow a lot of YouTube guys who talk about attraction, seduction with with uh with uh with girls, and uh, a lot of times they say like if you mirror a girl's vibe, you can you can sort of attract them a lot better versus if you do something completely different from from what they're doing but more or less if you if you if you if you give a girl a certain type of vibe then they will mirror it and they will and they will feel the same way or they'll act the same way as you do so what he's saying in this song he's saying they walk and i'll walk and they twist and i'll twist so basically what he's saying is that he's trying to he want he wants the girl he's he's talking to to match their vibe but really, in the original version, it, they, you know, they just he's describe the singer describing what these girls are like. But in, in, in this remake, he's kind of saying like, "Look, if they walk, I'll walk. If they twist, I'll twist. I want to match their vibes so that way I can, you know, come across as more attractive to them." So that's, and <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe I just spent, you know, that long talking about the lyrics for this song. But you know what? That's the fun part about doing this podcast. It's just. You know, just go crazy about you know dumb lyrics like this, but you know, and just talk about you know the the analyze what's happening here, and you know, and look, who knows if 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 there if that that's actually what's ha- going on here lyrically, and just kind of going at the li- going 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 about talking about the lyrical subjects in the song, and I'm not sure. I, I know these lyrics; these aren't the deepest, most you know powerful, emotionally hurting lyrics of all time. It's just a stupid little fun song about. You know, California girls. I mean, it's it's just it's just a surf rock record. But this, but the other interesting thing about this record is that this was n- recorded nowhere near the California coast too. So, I mean, both versions. So, on um, the original and this version. So, I mean, that's also pretty interesting. But I'll talk more about that next week. But yeah, it's a fun song. Hope you guys enjoy it. And uh, yeah. So yeah, another reason why I chose this song this week is because I happen to live in Southern California. It's where I grew up in L.A. and it's blazing hot outside right now. The California sun has definitely been out, so that's why I decided to do the song this week because it's fitting for what's going on in L.A. right now. It's really, really hot that we're going through a major heat wave. So yeah, so that concludes part one of episode one hundred ninety-three of May Sixty Music Podcast, Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and if you never heard the song before, which I don't, th- which you may have, because this is one of the songs that, unlike last week's song and a couple other ones too, the song actually got covered by a big name artist in the 70s or 80s, I forget which decade, but one of those decades, 
the song got covered by a huge artist and it's kind of lived another life since since it was since it was originally recorded back in the 60s um so you might know this song but if you've never heard this version of the song you thought wow this is a really good version of the song it's super cool super kind of garage rock you've never heard it before and you're like damn this is good and if you're a millennial and if you're like a young person and you got turned on to the this version of the song by me um, definitely email me at samltwilliaicloud.com. You can also follow me, reach out to me on Instagram and TikTok at iheartoldies. And uh, yeah, I mean, as per usual, links you can check out. Definitely check out my last CP, the first single off my next CP. It's coming out October nineteenth. Now, if you're gonna, if you want to hear the song when it comes out. Follow me on Spotify so that way you guys can hear this song when it comes out. And yes, I'll get that that super fan link thing set up so that way you guys can just follow me easily. But I also don't have enough, uh, you know, space. I only have four thousand characters I can use for the text description of these free episodes of this podcast. So um, I may not be able to fit that in. But just in case you don't know my artist name by now, it's Sam L. Williams. Go follow me on Spotify so that way you can hear the song when it comes out. Or you can come to my release show at Bar Lubitsch on the, on the 11th of October and hear it when it comes out then. Would really, really appreciate it if you can do that. But yeah, so um, yeah, so that so the song comes out October 19th. It's the first single off my next EP. But check out the last one too because there's some good songs on that one too. But yeah, so if you really liked uh, this week's song, never heard it before, or if you've never heard this version of the song, definitely email me at samltwilliaicloud.com. But also check out the official Spotify YouTube playlist for this podcast, where you'll be able to find all the songs I've talked about my show so far, including some of the ones I mentioned interview episodes of this podcast. Please go check those out. I really, really appreciate it if you could. You can hear all the songs I've talked about my show so far. Um, but definitely email me when you've heard those songs at sammeltywilliaicloud.com. And if you have any suggestions or songs to talk about next week's podcast that I haven't yet, please go do that. And you can hear this week's song, too, uh, you know, uh, on, on, the, on the playlist as well. So, But, yeah, check out the two interviews I did last year with Honk Magazine, Shout Out LA. I have a feeling I'm going to do some more interviews because... Um, I've been getting back on the social media game with posting for my next EP. I have a couple. Po- I have one post out already for Instagram, and another one coming out soon. And my marketing guy at my school is talking to people at Breaking Sound. So there's, there's gonna be. I feel like there's gonna be more interview opportunities happening very, very soon. And maybe, maybe I'll be a guest on some podcasts. And you know, I can talk about this, my podcast, and also my upcoming music too. I mean, it'd be better than just filling out a form online because I've done those interviews before, and those are not the best when you just fill out and answer generic questions generated by a machine. I don't really like doing those interviews. I like the more natural ones where people just ask me questions. And it's more in person or I'm a guest on somebody's podcast, whether that be over Zoom or whatever. You know, I like the more natural interview sort of, uh, you know, aspect of things. But, yeah, so hopefully I'll get more of those soon. But in the meantime, you can check out the two last interviews I did last year with Honk Magazine Shot LA. The link to those in the descriptions of this episode of this podcast. And uh, also... You can check out the uh, the official Red Bull merch store for this podcast. Now, also, I don't really talk about this a whole lot, but on the Red Bull merch page, you can find Turquoise Apricot merch on there. Now, I'm probably going to relaunch that logo soon because um, I, I think most of you guys know this by now, but, but Turquoise Apricot is going to come out again eventually. You're going to hear that song again with a brand new version of it. so much better than the original. But you're going to hear a brand new version of it, so I might relaunch the Turquoise Apricot merch soon because... That version will come out eventually, but you'll hear it, you know, and there's going to be music videos coming out for that song, too. So there's going to be a lot of whole new 
things uh, on the horizon for that song, even though I wrote it like back in 2016. So I wrote it a while ago, but there's going to be some new things happening with it. So, you know, please stay tuned on my end if you want if you want to get updated on those things. But also follow me and reach out to me on Instagram and TikTok at IROLIES if you want to hear uh, the latest and greatest with that, because there's going to be some more stuff happening with that soon. So please don't go away about that. Um, but yeah, definitely, um, you know, let me know anything of that logo for the for the podcast and let me know anything with price of each item in the store, too. I know gas is expensive. Things are very expensive because I can I can but I can also adjust the price of each item in the store if, if it's hard for you to buy anything from it, if it's too expensive. But definitely let me know anything of the price of each item in the store. If I should do that or if I should keep them the same, you can do that by emailing me at samlcwilliamicloud.com. You can also follow me or shout to me on Instagram and TikTok and I are oldies. And finally... Last but not least, the premium version of this podcast is, is in the link to that is in the description of this episode of this podcast. I really want you guys to hear these interview episodes, you know, because the value of these interview episodes, let me just explain to you is why I think you should pay for this. Because every single person who I've had on my podcast has told me really, really cool behind-the-scenes facts. But these facts that they're telling me are not necessarily ones that are out there everywhere online and the Internet already. These facts are very under the radar, very uh, tough to find, very difficult information that you cannot find easily on the Internet. I mean, these, these facts are like none of these facts. A lot of these facts aren't on Wikipedia. They're very uh, under the radar, just, you know, information that you're just not going to find easily online. So that's why I want you guys to pay for this and listen to these interviews because I don't want you to miss out on this really cool information that you probably won't be able to find anywhere else. So please go do that. It's only, it's four, four, five bucks a month. You get two months free. It's super cheap. You'll be helping me out financially as well. So please go do that. I really, really appreciate appreciate that. The link to that in the description of this episode of this podcast. So learn if you guys can do that. But yeah, so like I said, they got a song coming out October 19th. It's the Guru Girl and the really reached those week before October 11th Bar Lou, which I'm on nine. I mean, I'm on at 10 and it's $10 at the, at the door. So please go. Um, I'd love to see you there at the show if you haven't listened to this podcast and you live in LA. But yeah, so. And again, also, if, if you're a young person who's listening to the show, thank you so much for showing an interest in this music that tells me that young people can really love this music and appreciate it too, and that it can live a life past the people who grew up with this music who you know who are probably not going to survive the next 10, 20 years. So I really appreciate the, the, the people, the young people that tune in and listen to this podcast and are willing to keep this music going for, past fu- for future generations. So yeah, so um, th- I really appreciate you guys for doing, for young people who listen to this podcast. I really, really do. So I'm Sam Williams, and thank you guys for joining me for this week's episode of the podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. Until next week, please keep things groovy. <laughs> <laughs>